I want to invite you to open with me in, in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to continue the message last week, last Sunday evening, on uh, worship and what we can learn about worship, uh, specifically from the Apostle Peter, and, and looking specifically at a, a phrase that he uses here. We're going to spend some time looking at that this evening. And we're going to look at, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I got ten Bible passages this evening. So if you want to turn to all of them, that's great. I'll let you know what they are when we're going to turn to them. Uh, we're going to look at a, a good host of Scripture uh, this evening, working our way through uh, our subject uh, tonight. But First Peter chapter 2, and if you'll recall that... Uh, Peter was teaching us that we are being built by God into a house where his spirit will dwell, where the spirit of God used to dwell in the temple, but now in Christ, the, the temple is not where God's spirit dwells. God's spirit now dwells in his people. And that we are these living stones that he is, is bringing together and placing us so that when we come together, his spirit meets with us. And we looked at last week how in a certain sense, the Bible talks about how our bodies, our physical bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's true. And we believe that and we affirm that. And so God's spirit dwells in us. But also what the, the, the scripture teaches is that when we come together as the body of Christ, that his spirit dwells with us in a unique and a particular way that's different from when we're just out and about on our own, showing to us the importance, the necessity, the blessing of being able to gather together for worship with God's people. So that's what we looked at last week, how we together collectively are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit as living stones. But as he uh, rolled that out, at the end of the passage, he introduces uh, this phrase, and, and we'll look at this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. That'll be our theme verse this evening. And I read this again this morning uh, when we were talking about being salt and light uh, in the world. But again, we're going to really dive into one particular phrase here in verse 9 tonight. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes and he says, But you, and, and who's he writing to? Well, if you look at the very beginning of this letter, he, he's writing to the saints. He's writing to the people of God. He calls them here elect exiles. So uh, this applies to us. We're part of that great people. And so when he says you here, we can say, that's me. Say that. That's me. He's speaking to me. He's talking about me. But you, look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. Some of you, your neighbor is all the way on the other side of uh, the auditorium tonight. But you are a chosen race or a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency or the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous 
light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight and that you would build us up. Lord, we thank you for the time of worship and prayer that we've already had uh, this evening. Now, as Lord, we, we turn our attention to your word, which we believe is your word. It is God-breathed. It is profitable uh, to our lives. Lord, that you would even again breathe upon your word and that, you would, uh, that it would have its effect in our life tonight. It would not return void, but that it would produce good fruit in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to look at tonight, what does it mean to be a royal priesthood? He says this here, you are a royal priesthood. And I have, I had three points tonight. I had three points. But uh, as Benjamin was praying tonight, he added a fourth point uh, to... uh, my uh, list tonight. So I have now four points on a royal priesthood that I want to look at tonight. But before I get to those four points, I want to answer this question. On what basis can I be called a priest of God? I am, we hear, he, he says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Before we look at what it means to be a royal priesthood, we have to understand upon what basis can I be called a priest? When you look, when you look at the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, and you look at the qualifications that were required of a priest and the ministry of a priest, you and I, in fact, none of us here would fall under that qualification. Number one, you had to be a Jew. And unless there are any Jews here tonight, by descent, descendants of Abraham, that would disqualify all of us. Secondly, you had to not only be a descendant of Abraham, you had to be of a particular tribe. That's the tribe of of Levi. The Levites were the priests, called to be priests. But then specifically to be a part of the high priesthood, those who could go in and, and do the ministry of the work of offering sacrifices, you had to be a part of a particular family. You had to be part of Aaron's family, a descendant of Aaron. And so this would preclude all of us from being called priests. But here, Peter says that we who are in Christ are a royal priesthood. And so we need to understand upon what basis we can be called priests before we can look at what it means to be a priest and what that, require, what, what that entails for us. And so let's go over, flip with me over to Revelation uh, chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. When I say Revelation, everybody goes, Ooh. and then I say chapter 1 and everyone says, okay, good. Okay, that's, that's easy. That's, that's nothing spooky in chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4. Revelation 1 and verse 4. It says, John, to the seven churches who are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness 
the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Verse number six, this is our key verse right here. And made us a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He has made us priests. On what basis can I be called a priest? Certainly not by natural birth. Certainly not by the family I was born in. Certainly by not by not descendancy, and, and certainly by not uh, the, the rituals and, and the, the cleansing mechanisms that God put in place for the Levitical priesthood. No, all of that has been done away with by the work of Christ. And now, because I have been freed from my sins by his blood, he has made us a kingdom, the kingdom of God, And within that kingdom, he has called us to be priests to his God and Father. So upon what basis can I be a priest? On the basis of Christ. On the work of Christ. On the merits of Christ. On the sacrifice of Christ. That is the only basis upon which I could be considered a priest. Because by every other standard and every other work and every other metric that you would apply to me and to you we would not qualify. But upon the basis of Christ and the merits of Christ, if you are in Christ today, you are a royal priesthood, part of the kingdom of God. That's awesome. That that elevates us. That raises us up. That's why Paul can say of those who are in Christ that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The work of Christ in our lives elevates us. For, uh, the, the, somebody in the Bible, I, I think it's maybe the psalmist, I can't remember exactly, but it says, he lifted me out of the miry clay. That, that means that before Christ, I was, I was dead in my sins. I was sinking down deep into this quicksand of sin could not get out, could not escape. But he has lifted me up out of the miry clay and he has done what? He has put my feet on a rock. The work of Christ lifts us up out of our sin. Yes, we know that. But then he calls us to be a royal priesthood on the merits of his work as he has sprinkled us and washed away our sins. 1 Timothy chapter 2, flip back with me a couple pages in your Bible to 1 Timothy 2. I told you we're going to look at a lot of scripture this evening. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 5. We're going to come back later and look at another part of 1 Timothy 2, but specifically verse 5. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. It says, for there is one God. You believe that? There's only one God. And there is one mediator 
between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So we understand that God is holy and God is righteous and God is just. And humanity is none of those things. Humanity is sinful. Humanity is rebellious. Humanity is unrighteous. And so for us as image bearers of God to enter into a relationship with God, we need a mediator. We need someone to stand in the gap for us. And Christ, who is both fully God and fully man, stands in the middle between us and God. He is the mediator, the one mediator between man and God. And so it is on the basis of Christ, on the merits of Christ, that I can be considered a priest. He, as the mediator, is our great high priest. And we receive the benefits of his work and his sacrifice on our behalf. And this becomes very significant because if you go and you read the purification process, Leviticus chapter 16, I am not going to take time to go there. I would encourage you to go there and read Leviticus 16. It talks about the Day of Atonement and all that the priest who was going to offer a sacrifice all the work that they had to do to purify themselves first before they could make an offering for sacrifice. And so now for us to be considered a royal priesthood, it is only because Christ has purified us. We are now ceremonially pure before God. When God looks at us, he doesn't see a bunch of sinful wretches. He sees a royal priesthood. He sees people who have been purified. He sees saints offering up to him the work, the, the, the sacrifices that God has called us to offer unto him, which we're going to look at tonight. So Christ has purified us. Christ has sprinkled us, and he is our mediator. He is the one who stands between God and man. Therefore, we are now because of his work, we are now considered by God to be a royal priesthood. This is what the Protestant reformer Martin Luther called and taught on the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. This is a significant idea because he was a reformer and he was seeking to reform the church, the Roman Catholic Church, and the Roman Catholic Church taught that actually the priesthood is reserved to a very special group of people. To be a priest, you have to be ordained into that specific ministry by a bishop and all of these rites and all of these purifications and all of these things apply to you. And that the bishops and the priests are now our mediators between God. And in fact, the Roman Catholic Church even teaches that we need a mediator between us and Christ. And that mediator they teach is his mother Mary. 
And so you have this whole hierarchy of mediators. You have the, the, the priests, and then you have the bishops, and then you have Mary, and then you have the saints, and then finally you have Christ, and, and all of these mediators. And what the Bible teaches is that there's only one mediator. The God-man, Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. That for my sins to be forgiven, I do not go to a priest. I go to Christ. I go to our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And not only does he cleanse me of my sin, but he calls us, you and I, every person in here, from the youngest to the oldest, to be priests unto God. Not something reserved for some ecclesiastical structure that, that only those who you know, wear the, the funny clothes and the funny hats, they're the priests and the bishops and they're the ones who can do the work of the ministry and we're just all down here and there's nothing for us to do in the kingdom of God. No, we all have a vital part to play in the kingdom of God, in the work of Christ that's not reserved for some sort of high order of super enlightened spiritual people, but that you are that royal priesthood. Amen. I'm going to amen myself there. Amen. So the four things I want to look at as a priest, as a priest, what does it mean to be a priest, a royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers? Number one, as a priest... I have direct access to God. As a priest, you have direct access to God. Hebrews chapter 10, flip over there with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. To to make this point, I'm going to let the writer of Hebrews uh, do that for me. Again, the writer of Hebrews is, is writing to, to Jewish believers who were under persecution, who were tempted to go back to the old covenant. And he encourages them. He says, look, there's nothing there anymore. Christ is the fulfillment of all of these things. So don't go back, but press on towards faithfulness in Christ Jesus. And so he writes uh, explaining how the work of Christ accomplished what the priests were, were, were designed to do temporarily, but that Christ has fulfilled completely. And so Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, he says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. So the sacrifices that were offered under the old covenant, they didn't deal with sin. That they only temporarily uh, were offered in faith, and where they were offered in faith, the work of Christ was retroactively applied back to those who had offered those sacrifices in faith. But it's not that you could be saved and have your sins forgiven through the blood of animals. That was only a temporary foreshadowing. So he says they offer these sacrifices continually, but they can never take away sin. Verse 12 But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. 
And again, not to just continually pick on uh, Roman Catholicism tonight. I, I don't have anything against Catholics. I love Catholics. Many of them are true believers in Christ. But I do have a problem with doctrine that is not consistent with the Word of God. So yes, we love Catholics, but with the Roman Catholic Church that teaches false doctrine, we have some issues there. In fact, we have 95 issues uh, that we have, with, if, if not more, with the Roman Catholic Church. If you don't understand that joke, um, I, I don't have time to explain it, but anyway. Uh, but one of the issues is that the Word of God teaches that Christ offered once and for all a single sacrifice for sin. And that the work is completed and that the work is finished. But the Roman Catholic Church teaches that the priesthood offers up continually on the altar the blood and the flesh of Christ for sin. That, that what happens in the Eucharist, the communion table, is not something that we do to remember the work of Christ, but they teach that the priest calls down from heaven the essence of Christ, imparts it into the, the bread and the wine, transforming it literally into the body and blood of Jesus so that on that altar, that body and blood of Jesus can be offered again for the sins of those present who will partake of that offering. Well, what does the Word of God say? The Word of God says that Christ offered once and for all time a single offering for sins. So there's not another mediator, another priesthood that is offering sacrifices continually for sin. In fact, the, the, the Eucharist is a false sacrifice because Christ was offered once and for all. And that when he, when he finished that, he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. He is not repeatedly getting off the throne and coming down and manifesting himself and, and be, being transformed and imparted into the bread and into the wine. No, he is seated at the right hand of God waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet. And when that happens, 1 Corinthians 15 says that he will return and the last enemy to be defeated is death. So again, he is not coming down repeatedly. He is seated at the right hand of God until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we don't need another sacrifice by his single sacrifice for all time. All who would have faith in his work will be saved and will be sanctified. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant, and here he quotes from the Old Testament, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. How many of you are glad that God does not remember our sins anymore? Amen. Our sins washed clean by the blood of Christ so that we can then stand before him as priests, access to God. 
Verse 18, for where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, therefore, verse 19, that's the introduction. Therefore, he says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The point, as a priest, I have direct access to God because Jesus has made a way and paid the price. So now I can approach the throne of grace. I can approach the holy of holies, he says, the presence of God with my heart being sprinkled clean from sin. That I can now have access to God and to his presence. You'll recall that the Levitical priesthood could only go one priest, the high priest, one day a year could go into the holy of holies, into the presence of God. But now we can go into the presence of God anytime we want. Any day we want. Not some high holy day in some specific place where only one person can go in to mediate between us and God because Christ did that 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. He shed his blood on that day. And when he did, the Bible says that the curtain that separated the holy of holies from the holy place that separated man from God, that that curtain, curtain was torn in top in, torn in two from top to bottom. That God himself, when Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for sin, God himself tore the curtain. God himself opened up his presence to all of humanity who would have faith in Christ. This is nothing short of miraculous. That we have access 24-7 to the presence of God as a royal priesthood. Quoting Martin Luther, he says, every Christian is a priest who can approach God directly with the same freedom and confidence as a child approaches its loving father. We are invited into the presence of God by a loving father on the merits of Christ. We can go in confidently. We can go in boldly. We can go in because we have a mediator who paid the way for us to gain access to the presence of God. That's number one. As a priest, I have direct access to God. Number two, as a priest, I have the joy of offering sacrifices to God. As a priest, I have, you have, we have the joy of offering sacrifices to God. If you're still with me in the book of Hebrews, flip over to chapter 13. It speaks about the sacrifices that we can offer to God. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Through him, that is through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So again, we have access to the presence of God 24-7. We don't have to wait for Sunday. We don't have to wait for Sunday night. 
We, we can enter into the presence of God at any point, at any time. And we can continually, and he, the writer of Hebrews urges us to continually offer up sacrifices of praise to God. Well, what are these sacrifices of praise? He tells us here. He says, that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. We offer sacrifices of praise to God by singing his praises, by worshiping him, by giving voice to our thankful hearts. That is how we offer up sacrifices of praise. Why is it so important that we engage in worship and that you know, we put the words on the screen and we, we're not just, the worship team's not just up here performing for you. You notice there's not like tip jars up here. They're not, they're not just some band performing. No, we're, they're leading us together to offer up praise, for, to, to give us opportunity to give these sacrifices. But it shouldn't just be on Sunday morning, Sunday evening. It should be 24-7. He says, let us continually because we have access to the presence of God. Everywhere we go, we can continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Now, sometimes these uh, sacrifices are, are not so difficult. When I get a raise, it's not so hard for me to say, well, praise God. That's not a, that's not a sacrifice that costs me much. But what about when I get a negative report? What about when the, the, the thing that we were planning all kind of falls apart and crumbles to the ground? Even then, we're called to praise God. Even then, we're called to offer up praises to him. And in that, that is a sacrifice at those times. When our flesh is weary, how about that? When we're tired, when we don't feel like it. Am I the only one who... Sometimes is tired, sometimes is weary in the flesh, sometimes doesn't feel like offering up praise to God. In those times, it truly is a sacrifice of praise. But this is a joy that we have. That's what we need to think about. It is a joy to be able to offer up sacrifices of praise to God. We don't offer up sacrifices for sin. The price for sin has been paid but the sacrifices we offer are of praise and thanksgiving, the fruit of our lips. We do not add to the work of Christ, but we thank him for his atoning work. In Colossians chapter 3, it talks a little bit more about the praises that we are to offer to God. Colossians 3 and verse 16 Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. This is what we are called to do. We let God's word dwell in our hearts. We let God's word take root in our lives. And then we sing. It, it overflows into singing. We can sing the Psalms. We can open up to the book of Psalms and, and even 
use those to sing praises to God. We have hymns that we have. We have spiritual songs that we can sing. But all of it is to be done with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So, number one, as a priest, I have direct access to God. Number two, as a priest, I have the joy of offering sacrifices to God, sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Number three, as a priest, I have the privilege of sharing the word of God with others. As a priest, you have the privilege of sharing the word of God with others. Again, this is not something that's reserved for the, the, the clergy class. This is for all believers. The privilege to share God's word with others is for all believers. This is an important function that we see the Levitical priesthood had. They were to teach the people the law of God and the commandments of God. But now all of us as a royal priesthood are called into the Lord's service of sharing his word. It's not reserved for the quote unquote professional ministers to share God's word. This whole divide of the clergy and the laity it is unbiblical in its outlook. Here in Colossians 3, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. All of us are called to share the word of God. All of us are called to encourage one another with God's word. This is a privilege that all of us as a royal priesthood have. If you flip over with me to Ephesians Chapter 4, Ephesians 4. Verse 11, it talks about different giftings that are in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11. And I know he's talking about giftings because in verse 7 he says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of, caps, a host, a host, a, uh, led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He's speaking about di different giftings in the body of Christ. In verse 11, he, speaking of those giftings, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors, and teachers. So there are different giftings within the body of Christ, but listen to what those people with those giftings are to do. Their ministry, verse 12, is to equip the saints. That's you. You are the saints. Again, the saints are not some heavenly hosts that are dead and gone. We are the saints. The word saint means holy one. We are the ones set apart to God as holy. The work of the evangelists, apostles, prophets, teachers, and pastors is to equip the body, the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. 
Again, this idea that there's a sort of professional class within the church that they're the ones who do ministry. And, and we're just the laity down here. There's nothing for us to do. We're, we're just sort of come to them and they just kind of help us and blah, 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 blah. No, you are a priest. You are a saint. And it is my job as the shepherd to equip you for ministry. So that the majority of the ministry in a church does not happen on Sunday morning, but it happens throughout the rest of the week. As the, the, the members, as the saints minister to one another. And how do we minister to one another? We encourage one another. We pray for one another. We share the word of God with one another. Again, this is a high privilege that every believer has as a priest is the privilege of sharing the word of God and being in ministry. Again, my dad, he, he used to use the phrase often that every member is called to be a minister. Every member a minister. He would teach on that often. This is how God designed the church to function, where the body of Christ ministers to one another and ministers to the world, as we talked about this morning. Again, to quote Martin Luther, he says, all Christians are priests, children of God, and kings. They are all equal and have the same power and authority in faith. You, you do not have more or less authority than I do. You have the same authority before God as a king, a royal priesthood. That means that the word of God in your hands can be just as effective as anybody else's because the power is not in us, but the power is in the word. We have to get this idea out of our mind that there's a professional class of ministry and then we're just down here. No. You are a royal priesthood. You have access to the presence of God. You have been called and have the joy of offering sacrifices to God. And you have the privilege of sharing God's word with others. This leads me finally to my fourth point, thanks to our deacon Ben Gangra this evening. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, our final passage this evening. Our fourth point is that as a priest, I have the responsibility of interceding for others. As a priest, I have the responsibility of interceding for others. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, and what should we pray? He says here that we would lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, 
who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And here's where we saw earlier our verse about our mediator, Christ Jesus. So he urges us to pray, to intercede, to give thanks for all people and to specifically pray for kings and those who are in high positions. You know, I spoke this morning uh, about briefly, I briefly mentioned one of the ways that we can be salt and light in the world is that when the world is cursing our leaders and, and complaining about all of the problems and their terrible decisions that they are making, that we as God's people ought to say, why don't we pray for them? Why don't we ask for God's blessing upon them? That's one way that we can be salt and light just in the world around us, shining for Christ in that way. But I, I wanna put a different spin on it, and that is that as a priest, I have the responsibility of offering intercession, the ministry of intercession on behalf of, here he says kings, we don't have a king, but we do have a president. We do have a Congress, we do have a judiciary, we do have a governor, we do have a mayor, we do have a city council. We have people that are in positions of authority and that we should pray and intercede on their behalf and we should see that as part of our ministry as priests. We should not get caught up in the cultural climate of our day. Christians should stand apart from that. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself here because I can complain about the issues just as good as anybody else, if not more, let me tell you, if not more. So I'm, I, I myself am finding myself to be very convicted. Why am I joining in the, the choir and the chorus of those who are cursing those? And I'm not, I'm not you know, using foul language, that's too easy. It's, I'm much more specific in my criticisms and, and sharper than that. Why am I joining in that chorus when I'm called as a priest to intercede? The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we think that our intercession will be of any effect? Maybe the reason we don't intercede is because we don't actually believe it'll work. We don't actually believe that God would hear our prayers. We don't actually believe that it accomplishes anything. But when you read the scriptures, you see one of the ministry of the priest is someone who stands in the gap, someone who fills in that place, someone who intercedes for those that, are, uh, that they are called to intercede for. And here we're called to intercede for kings and those in high positions. And so I'm very convicted on this personally. I, I, maybe, this, maybe I'm just preaching to myself here and all of you get to listen in today. But I doubt it. We really need to take this seriously. This is part of our ministry as priests, to intercede for our president. When, when Ben was leading us in prayer tonight, I, one of the things I was praying for, for our city council, our mayor, our governor, our president, for all of these positions to pray that God would put godly voices in their life who, who could encourage them, who could speak wis, God's wisdom into their ears. 
Can God do that? Absolutely he can. Absolutely he can. We need to pray for that. That, that they would have godly people in their lives to encourage them. That, that those who are, are endeavoring, and that we, I am thankful for those who are truly endeavoring to, to lead in the area of government on, on, on righteousness and lead and pass laws that are righteous. I am thankful for that. But we have to understand that those people are in the fire right now. We need to pray for them. We need to lift up their hands. We need to, to pray that God would bring people into their life that would encourage them in that important work. That's part of our ministry, our responsibility. So let me encourage you in that. As priests, number four, we have a responsibility to intercede for those in positions of leadership over us. Amen? So in conclusion tonight, let us be thankful for the one who cleansed us with his own blood. Let us be thankful for the one who has made us a priest. And let us recognize the great privilege that it is to be called a royal priesthood, to be called into the service of God as priests. And let us also be faithful in that service and in those duties. Amen.